0: This morning, I, I need to start off with a confession to you all. And I, I wonder if any of you might be able to relate with me. I, I need to tell you this morning that my name is Holly Wilson, and I am a fixer. Now, <clears throat> you might not be bold enough to publicly admit that with me today, but I've watched you people for a little over three years now. I might not know you all well, but I do know you, and I know that some of you are fixers, too. If you yourself aren't a fixer, I imagine there's probably a fixer in your family. Fixers are well-meaning folks who like to make things better. We're hardwired to identify hurts and pains and struggles and heartaches, we're the comforters and the soothers, we're the handholders and the tear wipers, we're the cookie bakers and the casserole bringers, we're the band-aid putter honors and the hug givers, we're the family peacekeepers and the problem solvers. Some of us fixers are are focused on what's going on in our families and with our friends. And then there are some of us fixers that are focused on, on bigger things like the problems in our neighborhoods and our community and our world. All of us fixers are motivated by love. But the thing that you might not know about us fixers if you're a non-fixer is that we fixers are really not okay until we make sure that you are okay. For you non-fixers out there, I want you to know too that that we fixers are experts at whack-a-mole. You know whack-a-mole, that arcade game where the little rodent sticks its head up out of the holes and your job is to beat that rodent back down into place? Fixers can do that with superhuman reflexes in the life of those we love. We're always on alert for any little problem or conflict that might pop up. Fixers have high expectations for themselves, especially around the holidays. We have visions of of picture-perfect Norman Rockwell celebrations, and and we'll do just about anything to fulfill those expectations. In fact, this is the busiest season of the year for Fixers. Did you know that? (laughs) Like turkey farmers and the elves in Santa's workshop, the end of November finds Fixers preparing for the big game. Right now, right now, Fixers are on high alert trying to make sure that everything is merry and bright, to make sure no family member has an expectation that goes unmet. We're honing our skills of pleasing everybody. We're rehearsing in our minds all the different ways to deflect and redirect and uh, pat down any conflict or awkward conversation that might show up and threaten the peace around our holiday tables. So now that I've talked about fixers for a few minutes, I wonder if any of you can identify yourselves as a fixer or if you have a fixer in your family. Fixers really are lovely people, but, but here's the thing about us. We, we have issues whenever we're faced with a problem or a person or a, a situation that either can't be fixed or refuse refuses to be fixed. When that happens, what what we do is we get irritable. (laughs) We get a little irrational. Some of us can even become obsessed with forcing a solution, even if the person or the problem that we're trying to fix isn't interested at all in a solution. You see, fixers find themselves in a pickle whenever they face a problem or a person who refuses to be fixed. And I have to tell you people, I am a fixer and I am in a pickle. You see, we are in the fifth month, fifth month of potty training my son, River. The problem is potty training and it's not going well. We've done the three-day method. We've done months of him without pants on at home. We've done sticker charts and treats. We've done a timed schedule. We've also let him decide to go whenever he needs to. We've forced him to go. We've used a little potty and a big potty. We've read Elmo books about using the potty and the potty training classic, Everybody Poops. Our pediatrician assures us that we are still well within the developmental norms. And some of you lovely people have been so helpful with me by reminding me that he's not going to go to college in a diaper. (laughs) The truth is, I cannot make my son do what I want him to do when I want him to do it. And there's a point in this whole thing where I am simply powerless. And as a fixer, I I really don't like that. You know, as we head into these next six weeks of holidays and all that comes with them, I wonder if any of you will find yourselves around people that you want to fix and can't. For the past few weeks, we've been exploring the topic of when helping hurts. We've been learning a lot of ways about how to truly impact change in our community and in our world. And today, we're going to wind this series up by looking specifically at the issue of what to do when the people that we want to help resist the help that we want to give. Now, I have to warn you that as we turn to Scripture this morning, it's not going to be an easy word that we find from Jesus. We... We aren't going to encounter gentle Jesus, meek and mild, this morning. But, but I do believe that what we'll find is a helpful word of redirection for the fixers in the room and all of you who might love them. So, so let me just encourage you to take a deep breath and open your hearts and your minds to be led by our risen Lord Jesus Christ as I read from the gospel according to Matthew. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, also known as Peter and his brother Andrew, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaan, and Judas Iscariot the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet As you leave that house or town. This is the word of God for the people of God. It's not a gentle word for us. If someone doesn't want what you have to offer in the name of Jesus Christ, leave and shake the dust off your shoes as you go. Really, Jesus? Isn't that just a little bit harsh? What if we didn't shake the dust off of our shoes but we kept trying at least a few more times maybe maybe if we brought a casserole to that house that would help her or, or maybe if we brought some fresh baked cookies they wouldn't resist, be able to resist us i mean what if what if the people that we were going out to help what if they were just having a bad day that day or maybe they were tired or sick Come on, Jesus, let's just keep trying and trying and trying and trying until they simply can't resist the help that we have to give. Surely, Jesus, you're not saying that if someone doesn't want help, we shouldn't force our help on them. As a card-carrying fixer, this is a hard word for me. You see, I'm hardwired to chase after people that need help. Remember, fixers are expert whack-a-mole players. We'll go to extreme lengths to combat any kind of pain, to prevent any kind of struggle, to squash any kind of conflict. Deep in my soul, I want to run after all the hurting people in my life and my family in this church, and I want to force you to let me fix you. but that's not what Jesus models for us. Did you know that in all of Scripture, Jesus never runs after someone to convince them to hear him? Jesus never forces the solution. He simply presents the living water, and if people want it, they drink it. And if they don't, so be it. Now, I don't want you to get confused about that. The love of Jesus Christ is relentless. He will never, ever give up on anyone. But he's not going to chase you down and force you to let him fix you. That's good news to me. Because in our world, whether we can accept it or not, there are situations that you and I simply cannot fix. And if we think we can't be happy until we fix all of those problems, you and I will never be free. There are people that don't want help. There are problems that don't have solutions. There are situations that are beyond human intervention. There are things we can't control. Some of those things are benign, like waiting for your kid to be ready to use the potty. But some of those things are pretty serious. Like waiting for someone you love to admit they have a problem with drinking or gambling or porn or drugs. Some of those problems are going to eventually be solved with time or maturation or medical or mental health interventions. Other problems are are never going to see a solution this side of eternity. Terminal cancer, Alzheimer's disease, some of the most pervasive systemic injustices in our world, fixers, we have to admit that there are some problems that we simply can't solve. Especially those problems are those people who who do not welcome our well-intentioned fixing. You know, in his humanness, Jesus models for us such a beautiful way of dealing with that reality. Whenever we face a problem that's beyond our control, or a situation that doesn't want our fixing, this reading from Jesus is so helpful. It's simple, but profound. If someone does not want our help, we simply cannot fix them. But for fixers, that's tough. Hardcore fixers. Well, we will force our help on people in situations even when they don't want help, and when we do that, we, we turn into enablers. Enablers aren't bad people. We're just so eager to put on our superhero capes and fly in and save the day that we don't realize that nobody called for a superhero. Does anybody here have a cape in your closet? I do. Enablers are good people. Their motivation is always love. But in their obsession to make things better, their love turns into fear and their help turns into control. Enablers are afraid of what will happen if they don't fix the problem. And their help turns into control as they force their solution over and over and over again. Enablers don't help anybody. In fact, they can hurt everybody enablers hurt ourselves because we're constantly stressed out trying to fix something that's unfixable and then we either explode in anger or we implode with guilt and shame and the truth is enablers really don't help the person they're wanting to help It's hard to understand, but what happens is the person that the enabler is trying to help gets trapped in this vicious cycle of always being rescued and disempowered, and then because they are always rescued and protected from their consequences of their actions, they never really build the skills they need and the strengths they have to have to reach their full potential. Can you see how that kind of helping hurts? It's the exact opposite of what Jesus is asking us to do today. If someone doesn't want help, don't chase them down. Move on. But that's hard to do, isn't it? You know, I heard this story recently that kind of helped me understand some of this a little bit better. The story goes like this. A little boy was outside playing one day when he finds a caterpillar, and he he gets so excited, he brings the caterpillar in to show his mother, and they decide, oh, let's keep it in a jar. And so they put plants and sticks in that jar so the caterpillar can play and grow and eat, and they have all this fun watching this caterpillar day to day. And then one day, the caterpillar's acting a little differently, and the mother tells her son, well looks like the caterpillar is about to, to make his cocoon and, and he'll stay inside of that for a little while. And then, then eventually he'll come out and be a butterfly. And boy, that was exciting in the house when those days were around. But eventually the day came and they could tell there was a little tiny hole in the cocoon. And they watched and they watched and they watched. And they began to see the butterfly starting to struggle to come out. The butterfly twisted and turned and pushed it struggled so much that the little boy and his mother thought, well, well, maybe something's wrong. The longer they watched, the harder the butterfly seemed to struggle. They, they got so worried about the butterfly that they decided that they would help it. And so they, they went and they got some scissors and they very carefully helped that little hole become a little bit bigger. And sure enough, it worked. The butterfly stopped struggling and it, it came out of the cocoon. And, and once it was out of the cocoon, just couldn't seem to open its wings. Its body looked swollen, and, and that butterfly never was able to fly. They wanted to figure out what was going on, so they called a scientist at their local university, and the scientist told them, well, butterflies actually need to struggle to come out of the cocoon. You see, they, they get stronger as they writhe and wriggle struggling to push themselves out of the cocoon. That that struggle is imperative because it pushes the fluid out of their bodies and into their wings. And then when they finally emerge from the cocoon, their wings are strong enough to support them to fly. It turns out that that mom and her son thought they were helping, but they were really hurting. Sometimes the holes that we cut into the cocoons of our loved ones prevents them from some necessary struggles. Sometimes we rush into the cocoon struggles in our families and in our world with our cape flying behind us and our scissors in hand, and what we do is that we hurt rather than help. Even though it's completely counterintuitive for a fixer like me, sometimes Jesus' directive to move on is exactly what we need to do. That doesn't mean that we don't love. It simply means that we don't fix. It's really so hard to do what our 12-step friends call detaching with love. Have you heard that phrase before, detaching with love? Detaching with love is what Jesus is directing us to do in this passage, shake the dust off your shoes and move on. But I can't stop thinking, about that dust that we would leave behind really Jesus sometimes that dust is somebody that I love with all my heart I don't want to walk away and leave them in the dust I'll confess to you that detaching with love doesn't come easily to me leaving the dust behind surely that's detaching but it doesn't always feel loving especially when that dust is a family member You see, for hardcore fixers like me, the dust in this passage is a problem. So what do you do with the dust? My family and I like to go camping. We spend a lot of time out uh, in state parks around here, and and recently... um, We were leaving to come home, and I was cleaning our camper to get ready to come home, and I realized that my son River was standing beside me mesmerized by something. He was just standing with his mouth open. I said, what are you doing? And he pointed at this sunbeam coming through the window of our camper, and he said, snow, Mommy, snow. He saw dust, little tiny glistening particles of dust, dancing in that sunbeam. We both stood and watched with with awe at the ordinariness of it all. We tried to catch it in our hands, but we couldn't. There really wasn't anything we could do with the dust other than stand by and, and watch it. Friends, I have to tell you that this week I have been convicted that the people that I would be preaching to this morning would need to hear this truth. You and I may not be able to get our hands around the dust in our lives, but God is a dust artist. So why don't we trust him with the dust? When you've exhausted yourself trying to help or fix or make something or someone better, When you've done everything you know how to do to solve a problem and it's failed. When your heart is heavy and broken because you don't know what to do with the dust in your life. I want to remind you this morning that God is a dust artist. When we encounter dust that we can't fix. Friends, it's time to put that dust in God's hands. So if you're here today and you're a fixer like me and and you have a situation that you don't know how to fix. I want you to know that that's dust. And it doesn't belong in your hands. It belongs in God's. If you're here this morning and you love someone that needs help but doesn't want it, that's dust in your life. It doesn't belong in your hands. It belongs in God's. If you're overwhelmed by some diagnosis or disease, if you don't know how to move forward with grief or pain or disappointment or anger, that's dust. And it doesn't belong in your hands. It belongs in God's. If you're terrified because you don't know how to help one of your kids or one of your kids is resisting the help you want to give them, that's dust. If you're struggling to take care of aging parents that really don't want your help, that's dust. Friends, detaching with love doesn't mean that you don't care about the dust. It means that you love the dust enough to put it in the only hands that can fix it. You know, the God who can take a caterpillar and turn it into goo and then turn that caterpillar goo into a butterfly, he probably knows how to handle the dust in your life better than you do the God who breathed life uh, into dust to make human life, well, that God knows what to do with dust better than you. And if you're still not sure that you can trust God with the dust in your life or the dust in our world, let me remind you this morning that God took the dust of the death of the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ and through that dust created eternal life for all of us. That God, that God can absolutely, positively be trusted with whatever dust you are futilely trying to hold on to. So friends, will you trust God with the dust? In the name of Jesus Christ, I proclaim to you that God can make beautiful things out of dust. So for Christ's sake, get your hands out of the way. And let God get to work. Let's pray. Lord, help us trust you this morning. Help us trust you this morning. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you free us to let go of the things that belong in your hands, the concerns we have about our kids, the grief that doesn't seem to heal the fears about our loved ones, our worries about our world. Lord, we confess we cannot fix it, but we trust you and we put these things in your hands. Amen.